Now, the people of God, the church right now, that's what I mean, but we'd also, we'd include Israel in this story. They pick the condition of the earth. I want you to think about that for just a second. You guys and me, we're picking the condition of this city, the city of Kalamazoo. It's us. Now, you might think, well, you know, we don't have any say over what people that don't want God do. And we don't. That's, that's important to understand that, that God, he doesn't force himself on anyone. But we can't possibly expect people that don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them to affect any change in this city, right? Could you, could you get any better before the Holy Spirit was put inside of you? That'd be the question God would ask. And so we have to understand, we're actually the ones that are picking how much violence is in this city. We're the ones picking how much sexual sin is in this city. We're the ones picking how much theft is in this city, how much selfishness is in this city. Anybody this week been selfish at all? Be honest. I can raise, I'm raising my hand. I'm not just asking you to. Yeah. So when we're selfish, we're actually inviting leadership that's different than God. Do you see what I'm saying? And what God is asking us to do is to look at everything that's happening around us and decide that we want a different leadership in our city, not by trying to convince other people to get a different leader, but for us to actually be like, hey, I need more of your leadership, God. I need you to be more in the front of my mind, less in the back of my mind. Okay, I want you to hear this. This is Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20. See, I've set before you today life and death, life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you possess, which you go to possess. Now, were they the only ones living there? No. The blessing would actually touch the land. It would actually make a space for people that didn't even know God to see a difference from the people that did know God. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, now where would these other gods be from? Like, why, how would they even be thinking of other gods? Well, they're going into a place where there's a completely different value system, a different culture than they're carrying into this promised land. So you have to understand, like, this isn't a, this isn't a vacuum. This isn't like God's people all by themselves. He doesn't want that. He actually decided to bring a Messiah to the whole earth through the nation of Israel. And if the, according to Romans 10 and 11, if you believe in Jesus, you're grafted into that nation. And we're not supposed to be proud about that. We're actually supposed to be humble. But this is a message to us about being in the world and not of it, okay? I announce to you today that you shall surely perish if you're drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Everybody just like kind of do this motion. Just bear with me for a second. Cling to him. Could you imagine somebody clinging to you? That's what he wants. He wants us to actually cling to him right now. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now, God, he gave the earth to mankind when he made man. He gave the entire earth to mankind. Now, in this, this passage in Deuteronomy, he's picking out a piece of that geography, and he's saying, I'm going to give it to you, and I want you, as you move in, to actually change the nature of the leadership of this land. Now, Jesus, he actually said the same things to his disciples. He said, I want you to go from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, make disciples, teach them all these things. He said, I want you to change the leadership 
of the land that I send you to as my disciples, okay? And here we are in a land. Is Kalamazoo full of the leadership of God? Shake your head no if you think no. Nod your head yes if you think yes. Yeah, shake your head no, because it's obviously not full of the leadership of God. God is not for selfishness. He's not for murder. He's not for sexual sin. He's not for corruption. He's not for any of these things. Impatience. It will always be this way that God gave the earth to mankind. The heavens are God's, the earth is man's. And it will always be this way, forever. Forever it will be this way, okay? God will someday again dwell with man on the earth. Isn't that amazing? That he is such an amazing father that he wants to be with us where we are. He could be anywhere he wants to. He is somewhere right now. When Adam and Eve were on the earth, it says that he came and walked with them in the cool of the evening. Then he went somewhere else. He wants to actually live here with us. He really does. And he wants us to want him to live here with us too. Okay, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So if God gave the earth to man and we have dominion over it, whose responsibility is it that there's so much trouble in the earth right now? It's us. And if we know that this trouble, it came from the fall of man, right? From man breaking relationship with the father, actually deciding to eat the one thing that they weren't supposed to eat, rebel against his leadership. It's clear in the Bible that people willing to come back under his leadership will also affect change in the land. So it's very tempting right now, just politically. I mean, we just got done with the election. It's very tempting to be like, all these people have to get it together if we're ever going to have a good place to live. But that's not the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative is the people of God, they're actually like a door for the leadership of God into the earth. And the wider they open that door within their own hearts, the more the land will actually change and people will be invited into that very same leadership. Do you see what I'm saying? That's way different than, hey, we've got to force some change for God. You can't. God didn't force change for you. We actually have to open our hearts to let more God into the earth through us. In fact, in Luke 17, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's going to be the evidence of your kingdom coming? He says, it doesn't come in a way as to be seen, for the kingdom is within you. And he says, you're going to see days you long to see the Son of man. You're going to see days like right now, like today, where you'll cry out, Maranatha. He says, my, th- those who are mine, when I'm taken away, they're going to fast and they're going to pray. They're going to open their hearts wide to let my leadership come through them into the earth. They're not going to want someone else to come and be the champion of the earth. They're not going to want someone else to come and make righteousness happen. Now, when we want politics to make righteousness happen, we're actually wanting someone other than Jesus to make righteousness happen. When we want money to buy our way into righteousness, we actually want something other than Jesus to make righteousness happen. This is very important because what Jesus is looking for is called fidelity. He wants us to actually believe he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And he actually wants us to put our weight on it so that other people will put their weight on it so the land will change, okay? Now, Psalm 115, 7 to 16, just to make this point that the earth has been given to us. And the way that it's connected to what's called idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. 
Idolatry is a weird thing because you think about it and you think about it in kind of old-fashioned terms. You think about like statues people are carrying around and worshiping. But the idolatry in the Bible is much more than statues. And the idolatry in the Bible is just as present today as it was then, okay? Now listen, Psalm 115, 7 to 16. They have hands, but they, they do not handle. Speaking of the false gods or the idols. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. They can't talk. Those who make them are like them. Everybody say, like them. You are like whatever you worship. And the the scriptures will bear that out in a second. Just keep that in your mind. And so is everyone who trusts in them. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord because you want to be like him. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord. So if if you pay attention here to the psalm, he's saying, Israel, the nation of Israel, Aaron, the priesthood, and everybody who cares about this God, oh, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron, and he'll bless those who fear the Lord. How many of you guys want to feel the, fear the Lord? I want to fear the Lord because I actually want to be part of this reality where he's blessing me and leading me, Okay. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. It's clear in the Bible. The earth is our responsibility. Like what's happening on the earth spiritually is our responsibility, the people of God. Okay. Now there are many idols in one God. And these are some of the idols that are all around us right now. Money. Unity. Unity in the church is an idol. If we're, if we're trying to make unity happen, but not in fidelity to Jesus, we're actually creating a unity where Jesus isn't the center of it. It's one of the idols, actually, that's warned about in the Bible, in the Tower of Babel. Politics is an idol. And in fact, there were many political wranglings that Israel found herself in, calling out to the king of Egypt, the king of Babylon, the king of Syria, that because they didn't want to trust in the Lord, they actually wanted some strong leader to affect change and save them from their calamity. Military strength is an idol, okay? Now, whatever is a rescue or a savior to you that isn't God and humbling yourself in weakness before him, that's an idol. Anything you think, if this thing would just happen, my situation would get better, that's an idol if it's not God. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't use a bunch of other very physical things, but if your trust is in the physical thing happening and not the Lord who would actually be the one who wants to lead you, then you're actually worshiping an idol. All idolatry, all the false idols, they were made from things that God made, right? All the gold, all the silver, all of the realities of idolatry, they're things, they're gifts from God that are misused. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So that, does, that means money in and of itself isn't bad. It's bad if you think money is going to help your problem get fixed and not God. Politics isn't bad. It's bad if you think politics is going to help your problem get fixed and not God. A military is not bad. It's bad if you put your, your hope in a military rescuing you and not God. Do you see what I'm saying? Right now, the pressure, it's causing people to either cry out, Maranatha, or let's get some better leadership, a stronger military, or more money, <laughs> right? One's idolatry, one's worship, okay? Now, whatever you fear, primarily fearing the loss of. So whatever you fear losing, you're going to worship. Whatever you're afraid of losing, you're going to worship, okay? Now, whatever you worship... You'll become like, and the environment around you will reflect that leadership. Because you, God is enthroned on the praises of his people, is the way it says it in Psalm 22. And the, God actually made us this way. God made us dependent. 
Can anybody in this room make your heart stop beating right now? Anybody, can you pull it off? Can anybody in this room, like, have a breath without involunt- your, your lungs involuntarily doing it and the air being provided by God? See, God, he made you to actually need him to be alive. He made you dependent. That means he made you to worship. He made you to need. He made me to need. We're supposed to be in all this pressure of the judgments touching the earth. We're supposed to be coming in, in very close contact with our need and our weakness so that God can be our strength. God made us dependent on something or someone bigger than ourselves. And in parentheses on page one of the notes, I say God. He made us to depend on him. Now, the problem with that right now is that because of the fall of man in Genesis 3, we can't see him. So we tend to worship what we can see. That's why it's so important in a place of worship to actually, you in the movie screen of your mind, visualize God. Like get into the place where you're actually communicating with God and not just with a room. To not just sing songs into the air. It's important to worship to try and see God with the eyes of your heart, with your spirit, which is what we were actually singing for and praying for tonight. Now Genesis 2.7. And the Lord, formed, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So several places in the Bible you're going to find mankind is dust without God. We are literally molecules without God. And if somebody passes away that you know, you see, you can go from death to life really fast outside of human control. We actually are made to be this way, and that means we're made to worship. We, we will actually want or fear the loss of the things that we think are keeping us alive? What are some things that you think you got to have or everything's going to fall apart in your life? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but I just want you to think this week, like relationships, money, job, purpose, identity, like all of these things can easily become idols if we don't say, you know what? I can have money or not have money. God's going to make sure I've got everything I need to eat, the place I need to live, the identity I, I want to, him to develop in my life. We actually want to get to the place where we're worshiping God alone, okay? Now, that means God made us worshipful, and you can't not worship. Because you're made to need, you will always look for the thing that will fill your need, and you're made to be that way. And so you, you don't want you to be the thing you think fills your need. What would that make you? A worshiper of who? <laughs> trouble you. It would make you a self-worshipper. If you think you're the one, if it's all on you and you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make everything happen, you look out for number one, nobody else is going to. That's, a, that's an anti-biblical lie. God will look out for those that he made. That's what he's waiting for us to come to that realization. Oh, he's a good God. He wouldn't make me if he didn't intend to provide for me for billions and billions of years. Why am I so worried right now if he's not worried right now? What that does is it takes the pressure off of us to try and find a rescue impatiently that isn't God. Okay? Now, because we were made to need, we will always worship something. What we fear reflects what we worship. So if you fear loss of money, you'll actually tend to make choices to protect money, to guard money, to keep money, that's worship. That's like loving money. The Bible says if you love God, you actually generously give away your money, and then he gives you more. You store your treasure in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust destroy. Do you see what I'm saying? That's just one example, okay? I don't want to belabor the point. So uh, whatever we fear is what we worship. Loss of money, loss of political strength, loss of home, food, love. This is what uh, Jesus said in several places in the Gospels, but this is Luke 12, 29 to 32. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. Who seeks after those things? 
all the other nations that don't have God as their leader. All of the pagan nations, people that don't have any hope, that's what they do. He's like, I'm not actually correcting them. I'm correcting you, people of God. Don't, don't worry about these things. You're mine. You've got the Holy Spirit. You should actually be opening your heart wider to let God come through into the earth. His leadership, the testimony, I have a totally different leader than the other nations of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? He says, for all these things, the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows what you need, that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He actually likes to give us the things that we need. So why are there moments that it looks like we're not going to have what we need? That we are going to lose, you know, political strength. We are going to lose money. We are going to lose these things. Why does it look like that sometimes? Well, because God tests the righteous. He actually wants to know, do you really want me no matter what happens? What's a good story in the Bible of God testing someone to find out, do you want me even if I take your kids away, touch your health? Job, yeah, Job. And so we have to understand this is the way God interacts with righteous people. Job was the most righteous man in his generation. Like that didn't happen to him because he was doing bad. That happened to him because he was righteous. God tests the righteous. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. So, what the people of God worship, it rules them. Whatever the people of God worship, that thing will rule you. This is very important. What rules the people of God determines what the land is like around them, even for those that don't know God. So, there are many, many stories in the Bible of people that saw many miraculous things of God. The parting of the Red Sea, manna coming down out of the sky day after day for 40 years, feeding people, their shoes not wearing out, being miraculously delivered from, you know, uh, slavery in Egypt. Just, and that's, just, that's literally just the Exodus story. Not to mention all the other stories in the Bible of the people of God. And consistently, one of the things that we see in the Bible are the people of God fall into idolatry. They literally get impatient. I mean, after the Red Sea crossing, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Literally days later, the entire nation of Israel, including Aaron the priest, make a golden calf and worship because they don't know what happened to Moses. Do you see what I'm saying? So the people of God, they're tempted into actually having other things to worship. And we have to understand that's not just for olden times. Anybody here ever felt impatient? Like, I know I'm supposed to trust God with this thing, but I can't. Yeah, very good. Thank you for being honest. Me too. And what God wants us to do is to find out where is your limit? Like, how much are you willing to trust him? And will you, are you willing to humbly, humbly admit you don't trust him all the way when you fail? That's called repentance. The judgments are designed to bring people to repentance. So all the political trouble we're seeing right now, all the, the murderous nature of the world, the, the money being touched, the climate being touched, the, I mean, I could just name tons of things that are, that are negatively happening right now. These are all designed to find out when the, the rubber meets the road, when the pressure is on. Do you cry out, Maranatha, God, I need more of you right now? Or do you look for some other thing to fix or to change that you're making an idol and you don't even realize it, just like the people of Israel? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, when the, what the people of God worship, it rules them, and it changes the land, even for those that don't know God. So only those with the spirit and truth can worship God. So in John 4, verse 23, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, God's looking for people that worship him in spirit and truth. So we can't possibly expect all the murderers and count, all the people that have guns and are shooting at people, like it's increased a ton in the last two years. We can't possibly expect them to just start worshiping God. It actually 
what he's looking for is for us to worship him in more spirit and more truth, to let more of his leadership come through so we're a witness to people that are unsatisfied in their lives and taking up arms or angry with each other or getting impatient. There's supposed to be some kind of representative of the government of God so people have a choice to make. Not a choice at a ballot box and not a choice with a gun, a choice in their spirit to say, why, do you, why are you so okay when everybody else is so not okay? Do you think that this picture of a bunch of people at peace and not, tr- not afraid of losing power or losing money, do you think that picture is growing in the earth right now through the church? I want to tell you something. I agree with you. In my flesh, I don't see it. But when I see young people up here worshiping on a Friday night, when I really let the Lord start to reframe. See, what we're seeing is a negative photo image. If you look just with your common sense, your logic, what you see in the world, you would be like, this isn't working, God. Are there any stories in the Bible people being like, this isn't working, God? A few. (laughs) But what they're asked to learn is faith. All this breaking, all this trouble, all this immaturity being pressed into maturity, this is a good thing. This is what the Bible describes as the coming of the Lord. This is what we're crying out, Maranatha, even so come. I mean, where are all the, most of the judgments in the Bible? Which, which book? Revelation, the last chapter. Like, we're, you're living at the end of the story. We should be expecting that, hey, it doesn't look like this is happening. You're actually calling for faith. What I want to do is not judge by my eyesight, I want to judge by what the Holy Spirit's saying to me about what's happening around me. This is the greatest opportunity the earth will ever see for people to open their hearts and let the leadership of the Lord come through because nothing else is working. Nothing else is working. Do you believe me? Nothing else is working. No election is going to fix this. No laws are going to fix this. There isn't a taking up of arms on the good side that's ever going to beat the evil on the bad side, if you could even figure out which was which. What's going to fix everything is Jesus coming through people that want him, that just want him, okay? Okay, now, Egypt was blessed because the people of God's presence. So there, there were Jewish people that were living in Egypt as slaves, and Egypt was actually blessed because, in fact, Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. Nebuchadnezzar, if you know the story of Daniel, he was blessed because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I obviously I forgot Abednego's name. I feel really bad about that. Obed-Edom... This is a little bit different story. A guy named Obed-Edom, who was Jewish, he was blessed because the Ark of God's Covenant stayed at his house for a little while. The presence of God changes the land. That's what that means. So Egypt wasn't blessed because Jewish people lived there. Egypt was blessed because Jewish people had a God who was there with them. Do you see what I'm saying? Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't blessed because three teenagers were living in his castle or his palace. He was blessed because the Spirit of God was in them. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Are you letting it through into the leadership of your life to the maximum degree possible? Does the earth need it? Yes. How do you get that to happen? You worship. Now listen to me. You worship. Why? Why would you worship to get that to happen? Because when you look at God, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, when you behold him, you start to become like him because you become like whatever you worship. This is a principle in the Bible. You become like whatever you worship. So if you worship a political answer, if you're like, we just need the politics to fix this, what do you become like? The political system. Do you think the political system is going to save anybody? No. (laughs) I mean... Look at last, this last week. 
the earth needs to see God. And you're the hope for the earth to see God in worship because you're willing to take an hour and just tune everything else out. And it's weak and it's broken and it takes faith for it to happen. It takes faith for it to work because you're like, is that God? Is that really God? How do you know it's really God that you're seeing when you worship? You change. You become more patient. You become more kind. There's less on the line for you with the things that humans do. There's more on the line for you with the things that God does. That's called the fear of the Lord. When there's more on the line for you for God to move than what humans could ever take or give, you're in the fear of the Lord. When you think there's more on the line with what humans do, and yeah, I love God, we'll get to that later, but we got to deal with these people, that's called the fear of man. That's a snare. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I give you this big, long passage in the, in the book of Joel, and we're not going to read all of it, okay? If you, you, you don't know, probably know that much about me, some of you do know a lot about me. There's way more notes than we're ever going to read. Okay, so I want to read a couple of these passages, though. So I'm just going to pray one more time because I feel like this is the most important part of the message is right here, okay? So Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you come? Would you, would you reveal things to us more than I could ever explain? Would you reveal things to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, Joel 2 is a story about the last days. This is the end-time Antichrist army in Joel 2. Now, I can say that with confidence because Peter, he actually quotes this passage in Acts 2 when he's describing the pouring out of the Spirit on the first disciples. And he's saying, this is the last days. And the Bible actually says the sun's going to turn uh, dark and the moon's going to turn blood red before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. This We've been building into this reality for 2,000 years at least, okay? But Joel got the prophecy before even Peter experienced the first fruit of it. So listen to this. Joel 2, 1 to 3. This is describing a very negative thing. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Everybody make a trumpet sound. I just did that for fun. Okay, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it's at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Anybody feel like, maybe these are like days of darkness and gloominess, thick clouds Yes, you're supposed to think that. Okay. Uh, Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. So uh, Samantha and I just got done watching uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and like everywhere the orcs go, it's just like smoke and blah. Like where the orcs go, stuff dies, right? This is what this is describing. You know, that's a weak example. A fire devours before them. Behind them, a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them, a desolate wilderness. Is the land changed by this leadership? Yes, absolutely. And nothing shall escape them. Now, listen to this. This is the very difficult part about this whole reality. Joel 2, 10 to 32. And I won't read the whole thing. The earth quakes before them, the same army. The heavens tremble. I just cut out some of the description of the army. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish in their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army? Yeah, his army. He's giving the people and the land what it wants. So if you read Joel 1, you'd know he's been trying to get these people to turn around and repent and turn to the Lord for an entire chapter of the Bible. Many, like this talks about these locusts coming and eating everything, the wine running out, the food running out. He's been trying to reach them, and now the army is coming in. It's his army. Why would he send this army if they're his people? Well, because he loves them, and he doesn't want them to burn in hell forever. 
He wants them to change their mind about leadership. He wants them to look at the land and say, this is our fault. This land thing is our fault. It's not the insect's fault. It's not the weather's fault. This army, that's our fault. We need to be reformed by the leadership of God. Okay? So it says, the Lord gives voice for his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. And the one there is capitalized, meaning God. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Question mark. That's the question that Joel is answering. Who could survive this very confusing thing where the Lord actually... Now, are there any stories in the Bible of God doing this? Yeah. He raised up the Babylonian army to lay siege to Jerusalem to take Israelites captive. And he told Jeremiah, tell them to give into it, don't fight it. And the people who gave into it and didn't fight it, they were blessed. And the people who fought it, he said, I'm going to get a sword that's going to find you. The fire is going to find you. You go to Egypt, I'm going to find you there. So you actually want to understand, not every negative thing, if you look at it and don't understand, that's a negative photograph, the negative of a photograph. You actually want to know, what's the full color photograph look like? God, what are you doing right now? Are you trying to correct me, or are you trying to correct everybody who doesn't know you? He's usually trying to correct the people of God, because they're the only ones that can be corrected with the Holy Spirit, okay? The, the earth is never going to be changed by people that don't have the Holy Spirit. I just want to tell you that real clear. It's going to be changed by people that do. Okay. Now, therefore, says the Lord. So it says, who can endure it? And then this is the answer. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful. Wait, he's raising up this enemy army. Yeah, this is his grace and his mercy. All this trouble that you see around you, it's because he loves you. It's because he wants you. He wants you to not pick a political answer. He wants you to not pick a financial answer. He wants you to not pick a strength answer, not pick a military answer. He wants you to pick a God answer. And the only way you can do that is in worship. That's the only way you can do it because he's invisible except for by the eyes of your heart. You've got to get into the place where you're like, you're the one I need. The earth tells me I need this. I mean, you're literally bombarded with advertisements all day long, whether you watch TV or not. You're bombarded with advertisements telling you what you need. You live in a... This is the most weird amusement park, like creepy, dystopian. America is so weird. In all of world history, in all the earth right now, more advertisements are aimed at you telling you what you need than any other place the earth has ever seen. You have to understand, that's urging you into a worship movement. And it's very tempting, like the people of Israel, to be like, I love God, I worship God, and I need these things. And he calls that harlotry or adultery. No, I have to actually put all that culture away. Just like, what did Daniel and his friends do in Babylon? Because Babylon was a lot like this. They're like, we don't want to eat that stuff. I know, we have access to the really good stuff. We'd actually like to get to the place where we stay focused on God. Because we recognize the danger of the culture that we're in. Do you recognize the danger of the culture that you're in? You're the center of media activity. Like, literally, most of it gets generated in your culture. Most of the advertising is generated by people that know your heart. They don't know the heart of people in other countries quite as well as they know your heart. We have to understand, worship is so important right now just to keep a clear view, just to keep a clear focus on what matters right now. There's never been a time on the earth like you're living in right now. You are so connected, whether you want to be or not, to people that know how to pull the strings of your heart and make money from it. 
And it's, it's raising up a false worship movement of people that, I got to have this. I got to have that. I got to be this. I got to be that. And God's like, you have everything you need. You are everything I want. Come look at me. I'll tell you about it. I'll remind you how beautiful you are, how impactful you are to me, how powerful I am for you. You don't have to worry. You don't need to be afraid. You don't have to figure all this out. Just come before me. Wait before me. Those who wait on the Lord are never ashamed, ever especially now, especially now. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, not because he needs worship. You do. You do. You need worship. Who knows? Uh, for he is gracious and merciful, so to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. That just means set them apart and say, this is special. This is special. What we're doing tonight, this is special. This will change the land in Kalamazoo, believe it or not. It really will. This will change your house. This will change something in this building. Just because we got here and we're like, we want the leadership of God. Some of us tonight were like, oh, I'm convicted. I really want to actually, I want that thing that person said, or I want that thing that person's saying. That changes the leadership of this place. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber. Let the bride go from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. This is about leadership. Do you see what I'm saying? This is about government. Choose my government now, he says. While there's time, get out of the government of the nations. Choose my government now, he would say. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Do you think anybody's saying that? This week in America, where's the God of those guys? They can't, they can't affect much political change, obviously. Where's their God? Are they wrong? No. Because very little of the last couple of months have been the church saying, we got to worship. That's what we got to do. Like, vote. That's great that we can. But that doesn't matter. We have to worship. We need the leadership of God. We need the leadership of God. There's so many false Choices being set up for you. Either you worship God or you do this. You don't have to put your weight on anything of the world. None of it. Worship God. That doesn't mean that he won't lead you to do things in the world. He will. That's the whole point. Worship God. The world will, will, will save nothing of itself. Nothing. Okay. Uh, let's go to page three of the notes. And so it talks about how the Lord is going to change everything. He'll turn the northern army away into a barren and desolate land. He, it says, fear not, O land, in verse 21. Be glad and rejoice, Lord, in marvelous things. Don't be afraid, you beasts of the field. Why is it telling animals to not be afraid? Well, because the leadership of the entire land is changing as God's people change. Do you see what I'm saying? No deer, bunnies. I got a bunch of bunnies in my backyard. None of them were like, hey, man, get out the vote. But all of them will benefit from God coming to Kalamazoo. Do you see what I'm saying? The birds, none of them were singing in my ear. Hey, man, I wish you had a little bit more money and bought us better bird food. But they're crying out. It says in, in Romans 8, it says, all of creation groans that the sons of God would be revealed. How? It's people that trust God, that put all their weight on him. You know, like if, if Sam and I were apart from each other and something was wrong, I wouldn't want some other dude coming and being like, hey, I'll fix all that for you. Say, I'd want her to be like, no, I got a husband, actually. I want him to come and do it. 
Jesus wants that from us. He doesn't want us to be like, any rescue is great. He wants us to actually be like, no, I actually require one rescue for me. I'm married to somebody. I'm tied to this man. I believe in him so much. I'm ready to die with him. Do you see what I'm saying? That's worship. Worship is loving someone as your only rescue. As your only rescue. Okay. Uh, and then it goes down and it talks about, uh, let, just look at that last verse. And he, t- he talks about pouring out his spirit. It talks about how he changes the whole land's leadership because these people turn to him. And it should come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And when there's a witness in the earth of Jesus' actual power to change hearts, a lot of people are going to choose him because the pressure is so great to find out who is the author of life. Who is the author of life? Now, this last, I'm going to take a couple minutes and talk about this last part of the notes here. Desolation versus habitation. Worshiping anything but God brings desolation. Anything but God. What it does is God gives people what they want. So if you want the leadership of something other than God, he's willing to let you have that. He was willing to let Adam and Eve walk out of a perfect garden, sinless, no sin nature, just because that's what they wanted. He actually told them, don't want that. Don't want that. And the devil came along and said, it's, it's wantable. Are you getting any messages that something is wantable that's not God? Yeah, lots of them. It's a setup for you to want stuff that isn't God. But human nature says, I can hold God in fidelity and all these things. I can have it all. You cannot. If you love the world, you'll hate God's leadership. If you love God, You'll hate the world's leadership. You can't serve God and mammon is the way that Jesus says it in Matthew 6. You'll love one and hate the other. And if you think, I love them both, you don't love either of them, actually. You don't love either. You don't love the world because the world needs a witness of God, and you don't love God because he's already decided that the witness of the world doesn't work. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his son. If there was some other way to save people, there was some other way to save the water, to save the money, to feed you know, poor kids somewhere else, if there was some other way to do that, God wouldn't have sent his son to die on a cross. He would have been like, hey, let's get the good ones, get rid of the bad ones. He already did that with the flood once, right? It doesn't, it, that's, that's not the end game. That's not the point. The point is there's only one worthy of all of our worship, all the wealth, all the glory. Okay? Now, Matthew 24, 9 to 26. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Well, that sounds like pressure. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Wait, for Jesus' name's sake? Yes. And then many will be offended in the church and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, I, I would, I'm just going to venture a guess. Most of us aren't like, I wonder what the latest Buddhist prophet's been talking about. The church doesn't listen to Buddhist prophets. The church listens to Christian prophets, false prophets. This is all about the church, okay? So this is not like, oh, the world's going to try to mess you up. No, the pressure of tribulation is going to show where you're already messed up. That's the point, okay? Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end, which means they're already in this process of salvation, they'll be saved. This is a test is what this means. I'm going to test wheat from tear. I'm going to, sh- he, it said, John the Baptist said of Jesus, he's got his winnowing fork in his hand. That's like a pitchfork. He says he's going to thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He's going to burn up the chaff. Like you have to understand this moment in time is a test to find out where are you putting your weight? Where is the leadership of your life, st- the strength of it at? Okay. 
And because laws is all bound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. That's what Jesus is looking for right now, is a witness to the nations of his leadership in people. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see, everybody say it with me, the abomination of desolation. That means the, the thing that's worshipped that causes desolation. When the wrong thing is worshipped in the holy place is what this means. And the holy place is speaking of the temple now. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. So this is one of the most important things that you can understand according to the Bible. Jesus actually said this really clear, and then the translators of the Bible put this in parentheses and were like, you got to know what this means. This means what you worship changes the place that you live in. When you see in Jerusalem the wrong thing worshipped impatiently on the Temple Mount, get out of Jerusalem because it's going to change that land. It's going to drastically change that land. He goes on to describe it right here. He says, then those who were in Judea, flee to the mountains. Get out of there. Let him who was on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, no, nor ever shall be. It will be the worst tribulation because it's the worst guy being worshipped the most by people that are supposed to know better. That's what's going to happen. And you're being prompted into that by message after message from a culture that just wants you to want anything but God, anything but your prayers and your thoughts, anything. Do something. Take something by the hands. Make something happen. You're unfaithful if you don't do something about this. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all designed to create more desolation, not less. The desolation is actually a test to find out, do you understand why the desolation is happening? Do you think it's everybody, everybody that sins' fault? Or do you think it's your fault that sins? It's, it's our fault. We have the spirit, okay? Now, worshiping God brings habitation. So that's, that's my example of worshiping anything but God brings desolation. Worshiping God brings habitation. Leviticus 26, 1 to 12. You shall not make idols for yourselves. So he says right off the bat, no idolatry. I solely want to be your rescue. I want to be the only one you trust in to save you. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. And the land shall yield its produce. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Is there any drought happening right now in America? The answer is actually this. Is there a drought of truth? The answer is actually this. Okay, you're going to see that. Your threshing shall last to the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last to the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I'll give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. Now, is he talking about a land of just people that knows him? No. Even in the very beginning of the Bible, there was Cain and there was Abel. <laughs> There's always people in these places that don't know him. He's not talking about you and, you know, you, you four and no more. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to burn everybody else. He's talking about I'll make it so that you're a witness in the land of what it looks like to have a God. Because I love everybody. He wants to save. He, it says that his desire is that none should perish. No human beings are expendable according to God. None. And if you really want to love the people around us, 
then you're going to be a witness that opens your heart to let God's leadership through you into the land so that people could actually have a choice to make instead of being pushed more and more into impatient, fleshy solutions, okay? None will make you afraid. I'll rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You'll chase your enemies, and they'll fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Who's this sound like? David, thank you. This is, what, this is what made David a great warrior. Not his amazing size, his amazing talent, his great weapons. What made David a great warrior was that every, when he went against the enemy, he's like, you're not fighting me, you're fighting God. That's what we should be able to say with confidence. I don't, need a, I don't need a political solution. I don't need a financial solution. I don't need a military solution. I got God. He owns them all. I just want to actually trust him as a witness, okay? For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest, clear out the old because of the new. I'll set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. What that means is I'll come live with you. When he says, I'll set my tabernacle among you, he said, I'll come, I'll pitch a tent with you. I want to be with you. I want to live with you. I want to change the land. He wants to change this city. God wants to change this city. And he's not going to change it because we finally dealt with all those sinners, all those bad people, all the people that are having abortions, all the people that are doing this thing or that thing. He's going to change the land because the people that have his spirit decide, I'm going all the way. I'm actually going to let him all the way in. I'm not going to worry about what everybody else does. I'm actually going to worry about, not worry about it, but I'm going to pray and fast that I'd be as available to him as possible. Okay? Now, the earth is missing one thing. Without God, the earth is dead. His mercy and patience have kept the earth going on life support ever since the fall in the garden. The earth doesn't need sinners to stop sinning in order for the earth to live. It doesn't. The earth doesn't need better politicians for it to live. The earth doesn't need better distribution of money, food, shelter to live. Worship brings God. The earth needs God. It's his mercy that he's, he's let it live this long with him not standing on the planet. But there's coming a moment, and we were singing about it tonight. This day, it's at our doorstep where he will clean out the threshing floor, where he is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. He is not okay with people dying. He's not okay with the hate. He's not okay with babies dying. He's not okay with the climate the way it is. He's not okay with any of these things. And he's just waiting that none should perish. It says that he's not slack, as you'd imagine slackness. It's just he desires none perish. And that none perishing, it actually depends on a worship movement raising up, okay? Now, I actually want to go to the very last page. We're going to end right now. Uh, actually, not the very last page. Isaiah 29, 13, 15, page 4. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. He's like, people only know the fear of me because somebody taught it to them. They haven't actually spent time with me to see how amazingly glorious and powerful I am so that they tremble. They just heard somebody else say, I was around him and he made me tremble. Whether they read it in the Bible or somebody gave him a testimony, he wants us to know him. If you know him, you'll fear him in the good way. You'll fear the loss of him. He will be the thing you worship because you'd be like, you can take everything from the world. Give me Jesus. Don't take Jesus from me. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. This is the testimony of people that have actually encountered him in the Bible, okay? 
So he says, their fear of me, the reason they're, they're falling away is their fear of me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Now, the marvelous work he's talking about here in context is the Babylonian invasion. That's what he promised to do, to deal with the fact that the, the fear of God was taught by the commandment of men. The Assyrians first, and then the, the Babylonians invaded. You can worship God plus something. That's what Israel was doing. That's called adultery or, bib, or biblical harlotry. To purely worship God means that you conquer every other fear of loss. How many of you have a fear of loss? Like you're afraid you're going to lose money. You're afraid you're going to make the wrong choice. You're afraid. You're just so many fears. If I don't make the exact right steps, everything's going to fall apart. This is a sign of idolatry. Do you get what I'm saying? Our only fear should be, don't take your spirit from me. I want to get as close to you as I possibly can. I just want to be with you, God. And we know that we've gotten to that place of pure worship when love is perfected among us. Okay, so Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They weren't afraid of anything else but being faithful to God. To truly worship God is to truly love him and be loved by him. You can only love him if you, lo- if you feel his love for you, which drives out fear and causes darkness to lose its grip on the land. This is, the little, the, this is actually the last thing I'm going to read. First John 4, 17 to 18, if the worship team wants to start coming back up. Listen to this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness. Like, this is good. He loves me. I don't need to be afraid of what Russia does. I don't need to be afraid of nuclear attacks. I don't need to be afraid of diseases. I don't need to be afraid that the stock market's going to crash or the whole economy's going to be wiped out. I don't need to be afraid of anything. I can have boldness for all these things because he loves me, because he made me. And he would never make me to let me perish, to let me fall. If I trust him, I've got it made. Stand with me, if you will. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, right now, the whole earth is being led into desolation by the compromising parts of God's people. Political solutions to darkness or fear of loss. Financial solutions, military solutions, human unity solutions. But what he's looking for is for us to get out of the fear that's driving all these things. If you want that, he wants to release it tonight. Perfect love. That's what he wants to release. It's just a measure of his love. How much he loves you. You're never going to Get rid of your fear without his help. Perfect love casts it off your soul. Let's just close our eyes. Let's raise our hands up before him. If you want this. Holy Spirit, in this room right now, would you just touch us with a grace to feel loved by you? Right now. So a grace to feel clung to by you. That you don't, he, he's so patient with us. He, he doesn't give up on us when we stumble. He's clinging to us. He wants us to cling back to him. God, would you show us where we're reaching for a bunch of things and not just turning around and clinging to you right now? God, I'm asking this weekend, just make love real. We don't feel as afraid. No matter what comes up, 
Whether an army comes against us, friends turn against us, we're confident because we wanted one thing. We wanted you. We wanted to inquire in your temple, gaze on your beauty. Fill this room with confidence that just wanting you is enough. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'll leave this mic on if you feel uh, like you want to respond.